get to talk to the mayor today. Who doesn't want to talk to the mayor? Hang around. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is the Chuck Williams Show. We're thoroughly introduced now. Welcome to the Chuck. This episode of the Chuck Williams Show. We're here with Columbus Mayor Skip Henderson. Skip has been the mayor of the city now almost three years. Uh, he was a longtime city councilor before that. And uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. It's good to be back. Appreciate it. I've known you and interviewed you a lot over the years. Sure seems uh, like it. <laughs> it. It does, doesn't it? Um, do you remember the first time we met? Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say it was back when I was the chair of the golf authority, uh, at, uh, Bull, uh, back then it was the Bull Creek golf authority, as opposed to now the Columbus golf authority. And you yeah. were, you were a sports writer. I was a sports editor mm-hmm. and, uh, and we were in the process of transitioning, uh, I think an icon, uh, here in, in, in town, uh, Mr. Royer, tremendous man, great golfer, great. But the contract was up essentially. Yeah. And. and and, and we and we turns out you were right. I, I enjoy this moment because I don't say it to you often, but yeah, you were arguing about the sunshine laws back then, and I was completely ignorant of them. But I thought we don't have to tell you what we're meeting about. <laughs> turns out we did. <laughs> yeah, it took you a little while to get there, but you know, but that set the tone for a relationship that now is over thirty years old, yeah. and because you and I have been on the opposite sides of some things. But somehow or another, over 30 years, I know I have great respect for you. The relationship has been professional and, you know, in a two-way conversation. I mean, how does that happen when it starts sort of adversary in an adversarial manner? Yeah, I think it's about people. and You and I both have always believed that. And, and I think what we see, and that, not to, jump ahead but to contrast that with what we see today people aren't able to do that anymore or at least they're unwilling to um, I mean just hate what somebody's saying and still care for the, the person that's saying it and I think it was just uh it was much more uh ingrained in us that uh you know you can hate the message and not the messenger and uh, plus I you know I, I, I've read your stuff you were you were, you were a pretty okay writer when you were doing sports yeah, that changed when I got into government. But, you know, but people throw, talking about what you were just saying, people throw labels around. I'm yeah. fake news. You're a rhino. Or, you know, whatever the label is that people think they can make stick to you. How do we get here? You know, I, I don't know. And I, I think it's, I think like so many other things over the last couple of years, it has just been this confluence of events that have all kind of, piled on one another and conspired to create a, 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 an empathy less society. And, uh, we we're more concerned with uh, being able to get information immediately and making sure that our voices are heard immediately. than we are concerned about the actual facts of the things that we're, we're talking about. Have people gotten meaner without a doubt? You know, and I, I tell you what, I answered that too quickly. Um, I don't, I don't think they've gotten meaner. I think they've become freer with expressing their immediate initial reaction. Does that make sense? Yeah. They, they, they've become, I mean, I would argue social media has done that to us. And I would be on your side for a change. 
hey, I'm on your side. I'm on everybody's <laughs> side. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's the interesting part about this to me now. People will say things in so, over social media or in forums and that they would have never said before two, three years ago, and now they'll say them to your face. I mean, it's some of the discussions I've had with people have just been fascinating lately. Well, I think you know, and it, scary. Yeah, really. It's. Um, I mean, I, th- I think it, it. It's. It's taken root in all aspects of our daily lives. I mean, even with our elected leaders, uh, and I'm talking about going up the chain. Um, and and it, you know, it, I don't understand when people became so unconcerned with uh, the impact of words. Uh, you're a journalist, and, I, and, and words matter. How you string words together, I mean, it's, it's, it's the one thing you can't, you, know, you, you can't put a bullet back in a gun, you can't put words back in somebody's mouth. So once they're out, they're out. And I think our generation used to weigh our words because we understood that uh, life is about negotiation. Every time you talk to somebody, I don't care if it's your spouse, your kid, your dog, you're, you're, in, you're in negotiations. And uh, you don't win negotiations if, if all you carry is a bully stick. And, you know, and it's interesting. You see, our generation used to measure our words. Some of the worst offenders, and you and I are the same age. I'm 61. How old are you? 62. Okay, so we're the same, we're the same age. Um, our generation did used to measure their words. They were more careful in what they said and how they said it. Some of the worst offenders are guys and gals that are our age. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the anger component. Uh, you know, in, in my opinion, this is not fact. I haven't studied this, but it, it sure appears to me that everything from uh, everything's politicized now. I mean, I don't care if it's a mask or if it's a vaccine or if it's a if it's if it's the school curriculum, whatever it is, it's all politicized, and uh, and I think we have gotten to a point where um, we see a lot of people operating from a position of fear, fear that their lives aren't going to change, fear that their lives will change, and I think that people who deal in social media have zeroed in and they're focusing on those fears, and they know if they can play to that fear and make you more afraid of something. Uh, then they have a chance of getting the reaction that they want. One of the things that you do better than most politicians that I know, and this is a heartfelt compliment, you listen. You actually do listen to what people say. Um, It's been my observation over 30 years of watching you in action. Uh, Could you repeat that? I wasn't listening. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, I, th- I think I this think, this okay. Our relationship's starting to come out now. Okay, a little bit of how how we operate with each no, other. But no, I, and I appreciate that as a compliment because it's it's uh, listening's a muscle, and if you don't exercise it, it'll atrophy. And we've got too many people, and I've been guilty of it, where you're listening to somebody, you're hearing somebody, and you're so busy thinking of your next really witty remark that you just aren't zoning in on what other people or the other people are saying. As you listen now, listen to citizens speaking in the public forum at the council, listen to the other, to the counselors around that table, listening to the city manager and all the people that work for this city. What are they saying now that they weren't saying five, 10, 20 years ago when you got in the government? Well, wow. I, there's so many things that have changed, you know, in 20 plus years, but, uh, 
I think you, you hear a, a different tone in the way things are said more than you hear different substance of the conversation. Um, I think it's more in the presentation that, uh, from, from a perspective of what has changed. Uh, you know, we counsel, and I'm still very proud of, of, of our council, uh, 10 people who we don't see many 5-5 votes. Um, When's the last time you had a 5-5 vote? I, I'm trying to think. I've, I've been mayor now for uh, two years and 10 months, and I'm, I don't think I've had to break a tie. So it's um it's that's some six fours, but you haven't had any five fives. And that's yeah. So, but no, I think um, I, I think we hear a lot of people. And, and listen, uh, some of the some of the um, outspoken anger is very good, because you know as we went through uh, last summer uh, with uh, watching on television people that were mistreated at the hands of people in uniform, uh, arguably because of their color. Um, it created, it, it created an outpouring of people who said, you know, kind of enough's enough. And, and, the, and the good thing about that this year, this past year, is we had heard that before, right? I mean, you and I have been around a long time, and we had seen that movie before. And you'd be outraged. We'd be so ticked off and, and frustrated, and we'd meet and we'd, we'd share our, our, our anger with one another but then it, the swelling went down, right? You'd have a scar there because the wound wasn't truly healed. Um, but this, this last time was different uh, in a good way. People and you, continued it. When they took to the streets, when protesters in the wake of George Floyd took to the streets in Columbus, <clears throat> you were with them. Absolutely. You, you marched up Macon Road. You were at the government center for another CSU-oriented or march um, or gathering. Did you hear from both sides of people in the political spectrum when you did that? Yeah, I mean. What did you hear? Well, I mean, you heard, I think there was a central theme, and the central theme was that we witnessed something that by any estimation was wrong. Uh, and, it, it, and, um, and I think everybody agreed on that. I think there were people that were fearful. Uh, I heard from some people that were fearful because of the, marches and I got it I tell you what man I got to really lift up the people in Columbus Georgia because they did what they should do they gathered they were angry they voiced their anger they held people accountable they talked to one another they demanded further conversation and action and that's and that's what they should do that's what that's what um uh, that's what un, I don't want to say unrest but that that's what any kind of march should should seek to accomplish because if all you do is make noise and then you recede and you go back to your life, then it's been, it's just been a, a nice memory of an afternoon. But, but this series of events had some staying power and that was, it, it's about time. I mean, because now we're still having conversations. Uh, I've got uh, groups that we've put together uh, under the mayor's office that we're still keeping these conversations going. And um, the idea is to try to make sure that you've got people that don't look like each other. It can't be an all African American movement because then it's it's a demonstration. But you're not we're not able to get uh, people lose sight of it because it's colorable. It's the, a color. It it's one well, it's, side. It's not even that. But if you tr if you truly want to change the way things have been going, and I think everybody would admit that there's some change needed. 
you've got to have a very diverse crowd coming together and sharing. And in this environment that we're in, I think is it makes it difficult. And here's why: because we just talked about how people are quick to judge, quick to make remarks, quick to anger. Well, when you're having discussions, in my opinion, uh, with uh, people that don't look like you, and you're genuinely interested in figuring out where are the gaps, you know, and, and where where are we lacking, and what changes do we need to make, you've got to be able to respect one another enough to be able to say, uh, you know, hey, that's not something that, that you should say. And he, let me tell you why. This is why it's offensive. If we don't go through that education piece and all we do is say, man, you're gone. I mean, you, you're obviously uh, steeped in racism because of what you said. You're insensitive. I'm out of here. We don't move the needle. So we've got to, we've got to have those conversations. They have to be open. And if they're going to be open and honest, there are going to be occasions when we, we say things. and on, on You're going to offend somebody on one side or the other. Sure. And, and there has to be that level of respect and empathy and sincere desire to try to figure out how we get it fixed. Why did the protest in Columbus, and there were protests here, not escalate like they did in Atlanta? Into, viol- into violent, violent situations. Yeah, you know, um, that's a good question. I, you know, it, I think it's too easy to try to say it's the culture of the people that live in this community, but I think to some degree it is. Um, we have always, we haven't always gotten it right, but we've always had a, had a willingness to try to have those conversations, to create dialogue create, um, to identify, and this is the hard part sometimes because it's not always easy, it's not comfortable, but it's to identify the things that are at the root of the issues that we're trying to solve because sometimes we get trapped in these extraneous ancillary issues and we're not getting deep enough and having those conversations and identifying, all right, what's the fundamental change that needs to take place here? As you have those conversations, and earlier this summer, we both lost somebody that we respected greatly, Evelyn Turner Pugh, city councilor, the whole time you were there. Um, And you and Evelyn had different political leanings, no question about it. But how did she help you learn to communicate with someone who's not like you, male, female, black, white, liberal, more conservative? Well, I mean, Evelyn was special. Evelyn was, um, I mean, she and I had a very unique relationship. Uh, When I first got there, I sat right beside her, and I used to only half-jokingly say that she would would correct me if I was saying something I didn't need to be saying by kicking me under the table. In fact, at her retirement, I I actually gave her a soccer shin guard. I said, well, I'm going to (laughs) retire this with you because I don't need it anymore. Um, but you know, Evelyn was um, Evelyn was able to merge uh, class and and charm and intelligence with a fierce, fierce attitude when she was fighting for her constituents. I mean, you did not you did not want to take her on one on one on an issue. Number one, she was going to be completely and thoroughly versed in what she was talking about. She came to the table prepared. Oh yeah, man. She she would uh, you know, she she would carry that velvet hammer, you know. I mean, but but she was just um I hated to see her pass. She was she was she was a statesman. And uh, she also with the Parkinsons kind of modeled 
for a lot of us that watched her from her strength to the illness and then eventually to her passing, she modeled that grace and courage courage all the way to the end. And, you know, do we need more Evelyn Turner pews? Absolutely. Are they coming? Um, Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, is the short answer. I, th- I think that we've seen a, a shift in, in uh, elected representation, not so much in Columbus, but I, th- I think at some point it'll, it'll, it'll come to Columbus. They're just, I've seen at the federal level and even in the state uh, legislature, not in our delegation, we've been extremely blessed with the folks representing us. But, uh, I mean, there's, there's a little bit more of a combative attitude and, and – yeah, I think Evelyn understood, and I understood when I got on council that you know, the only way you really do any good for the people that you're representing is if you can get five other people to believe like you believe. So you have to be able to be a consensus builder. You have to be able to have those uh, those, those discussions with your fellow councilors. And I think that's what some of the newer wave of representatives. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll focus on the national level, but. I think that's what they fail to take into consideration, that you can make noise and get headlines, but you're not going to make progress if you don't. And you had a mentor in that respect with Red Matt Daniel. I mean, Red was conservative, and he represented his constituents with the same fierceness Evelyn represented hers. And it was two different parts of town. But what role did Red play in in, in kind of the counselor you became and the mayor you are? Well, I think I knew Red. For his his son and I have been running around together since we were about eighteen years old. So uh, I, he was well, like a father figure in some ways to you. Yeah, and and um, you know, and he could get away with saying stuff to me that nobody else could. <laughs> but I but I'll tell you, I, I would like to think that there's a little bit of um, several of those counselors that that I carry with me. I mean, AJ McClung. Uh, I had an opportunity to sit down and ask him for advice, and he shared a number of different things. What advice did AJ give you? Well, AJ gave me a lot of advice, but he mm-hmm. was he one is to be measured and just to um, you know, the way he put it. He said some folks have something to say, and some just have to say something. And he said, "Don't be in that second group." Uh, and he also pointed out that there's a reason God gave you two ears and one mouth, and um, and so I think that um, what he what, what I took from AJ is, uh, you know, you don't have to speak every time some topic comes up. But if you have something that you feel like you can add to the discussion, don't shy away from making it known. Has the mayor's job been, you got to see, I get, how many mayors did you see from the council table? Came, on, came on when Bobby Peters was mayor. Portishev. Uh, Portishev, um, uh, Weatherington. And uh, Tomlinson. So you, <laughs> how can I say this politically correct? <laughs> That's four very different ways of being mayor. It is. There's a very flamboyant, I'm in charge way. There's a, I'm in charge and I'm in charge way with Chief Weatherington. Just, you know, and then. Well, if you think about it, each one of those mayors, they were incredibly different, but they, they all had something that you could take away, and I hope I took away a little bit from all of them. I mean, from Bobby, it was that 
you know, the, the guy sitting there pushing shopping cart is just as important as a guy sitting in the boardroom at TSIS or, or CB&T you know, or, or Aflac. Bobby, and for that reason, Bobby has probably become the most populous, popular popula- pop politician of this generation. Yeah, I, w- I would think that's a safe argument. Uh, and then, you know, when you think about Poitashev, um, uh, Poitashev loved people. He celebrated humanity. And, and I don't think you can do this job very well if you don't really love people. And I don't mean just the folks that, that, that you hang out with. I mean everybody. You have to be able to find that redeeming feature in every individual. And Bob kind of Porter Chef came out of central casting. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He's, uh, but he was the eternal optimist. Um, Weatherington, I had a tremendous amount of respect. And I, in many ways, I consider myself to be more like Jim than others. Um, but Jim was just a quiet, he didn't have to have all the attention. He didn't, uh, he just wanted to get things done. And that's kind of the way I And he knew the government in and out better than, better than the others did. He'd been on the good end and the bad end of government. And then of course, uh, Mayor Tomlinson, I think she brought a, uh, it's interesting, uh, kind of shatter stereotypes, but uh, the first female mayor actually brought a renewed strength to the mayor's office. And, uh, really kind of argued that there is more power vested in the mayor. And I mean, it she a, made that argument from day one. Hey, this is not yeah. a strong council, weak mayor form of government. And she right. argued that tooth and nail for eight years. And I think, I think that what that taught me is that um, you're, not just, you're not just shaking hands and meeting people. You know, you're responsible for working with the city manager to, um, to move the city in a direction that's going to benefit the greatest amount of people. Mayor Tomlinson came in the office, and a lot of people thought she had political <clears throat> aspirations beyond the office and immediately ran for U.S. Senate after she left office four years ago uh, or with within years of leaving right. the office. Uh, do you have political aspirations beyond the mayor's office? No. Nope. Uh, you know, it, it, so you're, you're not fixing to go run for U.S. Senate or Congress? No. I, I can pretty well promise you that that's not going to happen. Uh, I, listen, I, I, I loved being on city council. Uh, I, I never really craved the spotlight and really wanted to be out front. Again, I, that's why I say I kind of aligned myself with some of the way that Jim Weatherington did his, his duty as mayor. But, um, but – I love this community. I really, I really do. I was I was born in Columbus. My dad was in the army. Uh, we moved all over the place, but we came back in about 1974, right before I started high school. We've been here ever since. Um, and I just look. Some people uh, run charitable organizations. Some get involved in philanthropy, uh, civic clubs. This is the way I've chosen to try to serve the community, and that's it. It's about public service. It ain't. I hate that it's become so much about politics. People want to make it about politics. Local level level of government is simply about being face-to-face with the people you serve on a regular basis, listening to them, and trying to do the best you can to make for a good Columbus. You're, you mentioned your dad. I met your dad the first time when he was on the Planning Advisory Commission. Um, Barry Henderson, um, a really, really, really neat man. What did your dad... Your and your mom, unfortunately, is no longer with us. But you had very strong parents. You had strong role models growing up, didn't yep. you? Both of them were uh, two of my heroes. 
and I learned different things from each one. My my mom loved life, and she just loved people, and she um, she your, believed that you should be optimistic and happy all the time. Your mom lit up rooms she walked into. She did. She did. Some of my fondest memories, and these young folks won't understand what the jitterbug is, but uh, when I was in my uh, you know, early years, we used to go to Christmas parties and things, and I would jitterbug with my mom. Some of the coolest – I'm a terrible dancer, but some of the coolest things. I I've bet done. she was a pretty good dancer. She – oh, yeah, absolutely. Nobody was looking at me, thank goodness. But then my dad, you know, served 24 years in the United States Army. He was a helicopter pilot. Um, so he was a warrant officer. Uh, he was an officer, yeah. yeah. So he's he's, but he, um, yeah, he didn't have a dad to speak of. His dad passed away when he was six, so he didn't have a template. And uh, and he's the thing that always impressed me about him is, you know, he was raised in in the South, raised in Renz, Georgia, born in Athens, and um, we've seen a lot of preconceived ideas about people and people that don't look the same come out of the South from the thirties and forties. And my dad, I guess joining the army did it, but man, we, we never saw any color but green and that was military. And I never heard my dad use any kind of racial disparaging words or, and, and so I, that was my, but that's different. That is a different environment than many of the guys your age and my age. Grew up, they grew up in yep. Columbus or you fall or wherever. Yeah, and we, uh, but he, that was modeled for me every day at a very early age. So I mean, and I, I, I tell people this way. I said a lot of the good stuff I have, that's my dad. I said the bad stuff's on me. <laughs> I fully understand. I'm kind of the same way. And then you know, I'm not going to leave out Susan, your sister. Susan Henderson is a lawyer here in town. I'll leave her out. She's the Best looking and smartest Henderson. So, <laughs> and very proud of her. She's, and she's incredibly fierce. I've watched her in the courtroom many days. She's a she's she's a strong advocate for those she represents. I've seen her as a prosecutor and now as a criminal defense attorney. And she, as a prosecutor, she handled cases that were difficult. I mean, she did a lot of of sex crimes cases. Yeah. And I think that's she that's one of the reasons she went to the defense side was because from the prosecutorial side she kept getting assigned those cases. And the thing about my sister to be so fierce, she's got a huge heart and she deep she gets deeply invested in each case that she handles. So when she deals with these folks that are sitting in a jail waiting on a trial date, she's invested uh, emotionally in, in what they're doing and, and what she's trying to do for them. So um, not, don't, not trying to do an advertisement yeah. for her, but she's, there will be a time. I mean, I'm 62, and I've luckily never spent any time in jail. Uh, but there's not a doubt in my mind that there will be a time when I'm very glad to have such a good attorney in the family. <laughs> well, and y'all too, I mean, siblings, you live in the same town, your dad's still here. I mean, you and Susan are very close, aren't you? Y'all, yeah, y'all have yeah. a close brother sister relationship. How much three, older are you than she is? Three years. So, oh, she probably mad now. Should have fibbed and said about ten. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's she is she's a rock star when it comes to what she does. And and I and I tell you, she decided late. She didn't go right to college. She got out of college and wasn't interested in it. And then she was working as a receptionist at my dad's uh, real estate company. My mom and dad's real, real estate company. And she decided one day she wanted to go back to school and be a lawyer. Well, she not only went back, graduated from CSU, uh, but um, she got accepted at uh, Mercer School of Law, graduated, 
they hired her as a recruiter for a while because she was the personable, and then she passed the bar first try, and she's been tearing up the legal scene in Columbus for many years since. I want to transition now, and, and I'm glad I'm glad you got to talk a little bit about your family because I think it, I am too. I appreciate it. I'm very proud of them. And and we better not leave out Karen and your kids now. I, I, <laughs> no. Yeah, Listen, you got to go home tonight. Yeah. Not me, man. No. But no, I mean last last piece. I mean, she's not a politician's wife. No. Me. No, she uh, she is very protective of me. Uh, I'm fiercely, like, like most men. I you know I, we we say we outpunted our coverage. Um, she is quite simply the spiritual and the social and the um, foundational cornerstone of our family. I mean, she is the heartbeat of our family. Could you have run for mayor if she did? I don't think I would have been inspired to run for mayor if it hadn't been for her. Why? Uh, she makes me want to be better. So, yeah. Y'all been married for how long? 38 years. With two children, two both grown? Yep. Got one that lives, daughter lives in Atlanta. She's uh, awesome. Uh, and uh, have a son who's a first responder, lives here in uh, in Columbus. Do you, I mean, your son works for Columbus Fire Department, has for a number <coughs> of years. Right. Do you get, I mean, you're a mayor, but you're a dad. I mean, you obviously see video. He's, a, I mean, I'm probably, if I'm out of line saying this, tell me, but I mean, he's on the crew that dives in the river. He's he's on the river rescue squad. I mean, he's yeah. in some hairy situations he, sometimes. He's, he's got a, uh, he, he loves that, that adrenaline. Uh, you know, he, we, we say that he loves to do anything that turns his mother's hair gray. Uh, but he's, no, he's just wired that way. He, he likes helping. Uh, he's, um, he, we're, we're extremely proud of both of our kids and we're, but we do get worried. I mean, you know, that, that Chattahoochee river, when you're doing a dive late in the afternoon or early evening, and you're typically looking either for evidence or for somebody who didn't, didn't make it. Um, and you can only see, you know, you're feeling your way more than seeing. And, uh, so yeah, we, we were, especially when we saw that 14-foot alligator strolling down Bib City that night. And so, <laughs> On First Avenue, by the but way. But they're extremely well-trained, all of our firefighters, all of our first responders. Uh, that's why, fortunately, we've had very, very few incidents in Columbus like they've had in other areas. <clears throat> I want to transition now. There's a tax at the city that residents will vote on a week from today. I mean, they're voting right now in early voting. <clears throat> Why are you asking the citizens of Columbus to give you an additional 1% sales tax? Well, <clears throat> actually, we've the, the thing I like about Esplos is it's in the hands of the voters, and they give themselves that sales tax because the projects that come out of those uh, that, that tax are decided on by the citizens. Um, it actually started when I first got in office. We did a, a, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You remember that? We, I do. We had business leaders, we had community leaders, we had community activists or heads of organizations, gave up two days and we showed them the good stuff in Columbus and there's a lot of really good stuff. Even uh, more than there was 20 years there, ago. There was, you're exactly right. And uh, and then there's some stuff that we kind of in transition, that's the bad. And it hadn't gotten any better in 20 years. But there's years. some ugly that has deteriorated over 20 years. And as we went through that, <clears throat> when we when we did the sort of the uh, post event 
debriefing for all of those individuals, they wanted some changes made in some areas. And so it became a project list. We also talked about uh, the government center building that is, I mean, we've spent about $6 million over the last three years just fixing things that are leaking and, and shorting out and going wrong. And, and the scary thing is there's no sign that that is guaranteed to stop anytime soon. So anyway, with all that in mind, the citizens uh, started talking about repairing pools, helping out public safety, investing in economic development, um, parks and rec facilities needed, uh, needed attention. And keep in mind, most of these were created with a sales tax back in 93 or 99. Now, we haven't had one since 99, but that's when the uh, public safety bill. But you got, the lo- you got the loss between. Jim Weatherington got the uh, local, other lo- local option sales tax, but 70% of that is committed and sort of embargoed for public safety, 30% for infrastructure. Uh, so from a capital needs perspective, um, SPLOS was, was without a doubt the best way to go. What are the top projects? Obviously, uh, courts replaced with <coughs> governments. I mean, yeah, you know, we've, we've got uh, um, the judicial building needs to be rebuilt. I mean, it's just th- those are single-pane windows. And so it's, we're losing money literally going out the window uh, from energy uh, losses. Um, and we, we've got to make it a little safer for the judges and for the DAs and the public defenders and all of those individuals that would work in that area. Uh, but then we've also got the Parks and Rec Division. We've got three pools that have been out of, that have been inoperable for the last four years. <clears throat> so we've got to get those replaced. Uh, we've got to do some, uh, we've got to get a couple of fire stations remodeled and one replaced. Uh, we have. Which the, fire station needs to be replaced? Oh, man. You go ask me that. We've got one. I think there's uh, Station Eight, which is on Whitesville Road. One by the bus barn. Right. We've got one down on St. Mary's Road that is in bad shape, and there's a couple others. I, I, shoot, there's one that I went to visit, uh, and one of our firefighters, when it rains, has to move his stuff out to the couch because it's leaking on him from the roof. So, but, but there's a lot of uh, um, engines and, and ambulances that are necessary. So there's a there's a number of different things that that the citizens have told us they wanted addressed. We got 25 million I think going towards road resurfacing and sidewalks and, and trails. Uh, so it, this is sort of a back to basics. None of this is new shiny stuff that we're trying to build. This is all reha- refurbishing, replacing, rebuilding, reconstructing uh, facilities that have just aged out. They were built back in the mid to early 90s. Are you concerned that this will drive, <clears throat> that there's concern that this will drive the uh, sales tax in Muskogee County at least for the for a nine, ten month period to 9%? Yeah, I mean, we, we certainly take that into consideration. Um, you know, there are a couple of things about this sales tax that we obviously are aware of and share the concern. One is it's the only thing on the ballot. That was not by design. We actually wanted to put it on in uh, November of, of uh, 20, but with COVID, there was a lot of uncertainty about how people's personal finances were going to hold up, and it just wasn't fair to ask for a sales tax when people just didn't know how things were going to shake out. And the school district kind of beat y'all to the punch on that, too. Well, they went for an, an East Blast, and uh, they, they typically, I think every five years, they, yep. they go to renew that. Um, but then the other, you know, the other piece of that is that we will go to nine cents for about nine months. 
and, uh, and which will make us the highest sales tax in Georgia. in Georgia. But it does keep us on par with some of our competitors, looking at uh, Phoenix City, Auburn, Opelika, uh, the people that we compete against for 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 um, retail sales and restaurants. Then it'll go back down to eight. It it will it's scheduled to go back down to eight when the T splos rolls yep. off. Now that'll be in December of twenty two. So uh, you'll have about nine months of collecting nine percent, and then at that point, then it's where the power is where it belongs in the hands of the of the citizens to determine whether or not they want to continue it, and they'll make that decision based on the projects, the transportation projects that are being offered. And by the way, that is not a local effort. That is, we were not even really in favor of going after it right now. That is a regional uh, initiative. And the way the law is written, we've got 16 counties in our region. If nine, just over 50% of those counties, uh, vote to put it on the ballot, it goes on the whole whole region's ballot. And there's a, and that's the legislatures of those nine counties, right? That's right. Okay. When you look at the T-SPLOS, I mean, some of the Buena Vista road work is coming out of it. The T spot has the T spot been an effective way for Muskogee <clears throat> County. I mean, take the other fifteen counties out. Has it been effective for the residents and taxpayers in Muskogee? Yes, I think one of the things that we were concerned about, and the city, by the way, never got really involved in the campaign for that. Uh, we thought it had to be driven by the public, and the reason is because we're a donor county. See, the T spot collects sales tax across that sixteen county uh, landscape. Well. We were kicking in, you know, More. probably seventy percent and getting uh, forty, right or fifty. Yeah. Well, every every county gets uh, discretionary funds, which go towards whatever you want it to, as long as it's a transportation project. The other projects are um, identified and uh, and and tiered, and then they they the rest goes towards that. But we got about forty eight percent this year. Um, we st- it still has to be voted on by the full roundtable, but I'm on the executive board. And this year, we've, we've got about 70% of the project money coming to Columbia. And that's a good thing. If, if you look right now at the current sales tax that voters are deciding, usually there's an opposition that springs up mm-hmm. to these. I haven't seen the opposition here. Is there one? I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are people that... But it's not an organized... Yeah, I think that's the key. There's, uh, there are a number of folks that you know we see on social media that are... Uh, typically, they don't have accurate facts. They're a little misinformed, uh, which is which I understand. It, 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 I'm not finding fault with them, but, but there has not been a uh, mobilized force that had, has gone out to, to campaign against it. And, and I think that tells us that, for the most part, it's supportive. And it's... Across the board, I went and spoke to um, a group of the uh, Muskogee County Republican Party, and they're tax hawks. And (laughs) almost every one of them came up and said, "You know, this is this is needed. These are these are things that have helped us become such a uh, an amazing city." Democrats are supporting it as well. Yeah, and 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 I think that's that's the key is is we have asked the the individual citizens what they want on the list. We didn't put this thing together. We just tried to listen and, and provide them an opportunity to uh, vote on whether or not to fund it. I want to switch gears. I've got two quick things I want to get to, and then we're going to get close to wrapping this up. First thing I want to switch gears <coughs> to is one of the, I want a brief COVID. We're coming out of the fourth wave, it looks like. 
But one of the most sobering conversations I had during the entire <coughs> COVID stuff happened very early, late March, early April of 2020. I was interviewing you, and I think I was complaining about something, or I was being me, and <laughs> you stopped me dead in my tracks, and you said, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something along the lines of, listen, Chuck, there's going to come a time that everybody involved in this will be held accountable. We're going to have a period of accountability for decisions made during COVID. I'm going to be accountable. The Department of Public Health is going to be accountable. The governor, you said, hell, even you are going to be held accountable. You and the media, and that includes you. I stopped when you said that. And I've thought about it a lot over the last 18 months because you reframed my job in this saying, okay, you know, you go around and you be the guy that asks the questions, but know that your actions are going to be as accountable as some of the public officials making these decisions. You still feel that way? You still feel like we all are going to be held accountable at some point? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, listen, life is about accountability. I mean, it is in every every aspect of your life. You're you you are held accountable, or should be, and you should welcome that. I mean, you're held accountable by your spouse. You're held accountable by your boss. Your children. Your, your children. You're held accountable by by people you interview, uh, because we expect the journalists to be fair and balanced. And as long as you are, we we you know we, we think it's a it, it's it's a you know, it's a good t- uh, tandem going. I'm assuming if I weren't, you probably wouldn't have sat down for over 200 interviews with me probably at some not. point. You probably would, not. You would have. Well, we might, but we'd have had a few conversations in between them. Um, but uh, but but I think the other part of that is is you know early on in this pandemic, it was um, it was unlike anything that I certainly expected, and unlike anything I've ever been asked to participate in leading through, and. Um, and, and so I, I entered, I entered that battle with COVID, the same way I entered the mayor's office, and that is that you shouldn't ask for that responsibility if you're not willing to be accountable. Um, I hold myself accountable, so I have you know I have accountability to me because I have a standard of reaction and trying to be consistent, and that was the hardest thing with COVID because COVID was so fluid and it was spiking and then it would recede and it was. It was very difficult to try to come up with one set of rules for your community that you felt that you could just, all right, we're done. We'll leave it in the place. The rules were changing every yeah. single day, it seemed like, there for a period. And I think the frustrating part to me was the way it was politicized. Um, when did this become a political <laughs> statement? I mean, early. Early. Because, you know, if you remember when, we, when it first started, we couldn't get these. We couldn't get masks. I mean, there was no PPE. You remember the shortage? You'd, you'd had people that were buying up masks off the grocery store. You couldn't get hand sanitizer. No, I mean it. It in in the, the toilet paper. That one. That one really floored me. I said, "Okay, let's see. There's a global pandemic. Go get the TP. We got to make sure we got plenty on stock." I mean, you know. So it just. I think that people didn't know what to do. It was. It was such a unique situation. And, and truthfully, I think it was exacerbated by some, uh, to some point with social media. You mentioned it earlier. During the early stages and really continuing on through this uh, effort to, to thwart COVID or slow it, slow it spread, uh, 
social media became a source to find something that would support whatever you thought. It wasn't necessarily to find answers. It was, I think this, I need to find need something. To find somebody's preaching you. to my choir. Yeah, and, and they could do that. And um, But, you know, the, the political piece of it, I think it costs some lives. Uh, there's not a doubt in my mind that we've had almost, we've had about 540 people that have passed away in Columbus, Georgia, that they've attributed. Say that again. There's over 500, I think, I know it's over 530. I think it's close to 540 now that uh, have and lost And you and I lives. both have known some of them. Yeah. I went to four funerals over the last five weeks. Um, three of them were due to COVID. And uh, and these were people that I respected, people that were, some were my friends. And um, and it's frustrating because, you know, you now, now listen, let me say this too. I, I will say that the reason Columbus remained a footnote and not a headline is because of the way that the people of this community reacted. We didn't become Albany. No, and and you know typically I watch those numbers, and I not that this illness was a competition, but I was looking at our peer cities, you know the Augustas, the Savannas, and I was trying to check and see where we were, and for the most part, we stayed, we we, we fared better than they did, and you know the in March before we even had our first case, um, I made the decision to shut some businesses, hardest decision I've had to make during this. His and you caught hell for it. Sure I did. And I understood it. I, I knew it going in, but I also felt very strongly until we got a hold on what the correct response was, we needed to err on the side of caution. And interestingly, two to three, two weeks after we put those in place, the governor put the same thing in place. So I'm going to switch off. <coughs> Last question I'm going to ask okay. here. I'm going to see if we're going to make a little news here today. Maybe not. You probably have been waiting for this question <coughs> for 45 minutes. I mean... You're up for re-election next year. Uh, 2022 is when five counselors in the mayor's office will be right. on the ballot. <clears throat> um, you have served the better part of one term. You're eligible for a second. Are you going to see re-election? You know, we'll we'll have an announcement about that in the very near future, but I, you know, I will tell you that um, there are a lot of things I wanted to do as mayor, and um, I feel like we've been – um, we've had two and a half years stolen from us. So there's still things that I, I would like to see done. The journalist in me says that's a yes, almost qualified maybe that you're, you're seriously considering it. And the politician in me says, you heard my answer. <laughs> and that is the beauty of our relationship. <laughs> Politician, journalist. But we've kept it civil, and that's yeah. the cool part. And I knew this was going to be an interesting discussion because if you can't do anything else, you can talk. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'm not sure how to take that. but uh, Yeah, you, you're, you understand how to communicate. When I say talk, I mean communicate. You're, you're a pretty good communicator, and I'm not blowing smoke. I'm just telling you you're a pretty fair communicator. Has the last... Three, two and a half years challenge your communication skills? Uh, you know, I think because of all of the outside influences that, that came to play, um, I think certainly it, it tested your ability to communicate uh, because, you know, one of the toughest part about communication is you can't fake what you feel. You know, if, if I'm not smart enough to tell lies. You're not a good I, poker player. No, no. But, um, but you have to, to me, it's it's important that 
the things that I do believe in, the things that I do feel, that I articulate them. Listen, I, sometimes I slay the King's English. Uh, but, you know, truthfully, um, uh, I pray a lot. And, and I, I pray that, um, you know, listen, I don't mind stepping on my tongue and saying something that sounds stupid as long as the message comes out and it relates back to what we've all been commanded to do, and that's to love one another. We're at a point now, and I didn't tell you about this, and this is, a, this is always risky. It's even more risky with somebody like you. <laughs> we call it Turn the Tables. Um, you get to ask me a question on the record, on live TV, or live internet TV. You get to ask me a question, and it'll, it'll be fascinating to see what you oh, ask. Man. Because you've been to, you, you're the guy that gets the questions. You don't get to ask. Raffensperger sat in your seat. Uh, Secretary Raffensperger sat in your seat four weeks ago, and he said, "Man, I like asking the questions a lot better than I do answering them." Well, I tell you, listen, the uh, man, all these oysters, and which pearl do I pull? Right? Uh-huh. I tell you what, let's ask one that really has some substance, uh, at least for me. Um, you're a print journalist. I was. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you took great a great deal of pride in what goes into being an investigative print journalist. Is that fair? Fair enough. Okay. How has that transitioned to electronic media? And and walk me through your first day or two on camera. Uh, you can go look at the tapes. I was terrible. <laughs> I was the worst. I mean, I don't know what David Hart and Gene Gracano and those guys were thinking when they put me on the air. But now I'm the newsman. I, go, I was in line today at... Piggly Wiggly. I was buying lunch. There was a gentleman, uh, African American, seventy ish. He was in a scooter and he couldn't see behind me, but he was eighteen cents short. And he was hollering at somebody at the door to try to get his eighteen cents. I said, "Here, I got it." I said, "Here, I got a quarter. Here, just take it out of this." And he goes, he didn't even look back. So you're the news guy because I'm the only guy on the air in Columbus, Georgia, that sounds like this. Nope, everybody else has got a professional voice. I don't. But the invet- I've taken great pride in the investigative reporting. I've investigated judges. I've investigated city department heads. I have investigated a lot of people over the years, and it's something that you have to be exact in, you have to be fair, and you have to... Make sure you're right because you're dealing with people's lives. And if you put out the wrong information or you get it wrong, you don't want to be there. That's not a place you want to be in. So the investigative journalistic skills, and I still do some of it over here. I mean, there's no question about that. But just the gathering of it, gathering of the information, all of that I know how to do. I've done it. I know how to file open records requests. You've had, you've gotten a couple of them. And I'm careful to get it right. So as I moved over from the newspaper print side, you know, and my mentors were the Jim Houston's, the Harry Franklin's, the Richard Heights, the Mick Walsh's, the Kathy Sledge's. Those were the people who might burbot. Those were the guys Ben Holden, the guys that taught me how to do what I do. You know, it's funny, I've just put a bunch of open records requests into Melanie uh, Melanie, Sly, Melanie Holden, uh, Ben's wife, and, you know, and it's like, I mean, don't look at me. Your husband's one of the ones that taught me how to do this. Um, but you got to be fair, and that's what I try to do. And I think it's 
being a journalist now is it's a different climate. Being a politician is a different climate. It's tougher. You're judged. You're judged more harshly, and you're judged more unfairly, and you're judged quicker, and you're judged, quite frankly, by people who don't know what they're talking about. Sometimes, you know, you know, I did. I never knew there were facts and alternate facts until <laughs> recently. I mean, thought facts were facts. Not always. All right. One last question. Okay. Do the Braves win, and if so, in how many games? I don't know if you saw, but I made a bet on August the 21st in Biloxi, Mississippi, uh, as I was leaving. I put $75 on the Braves to win the National League pennant. I just, I've got a ticket that's worth a few dollars right now, so <laughs> I may be going to Biloxi to catch it. But I was confident that they had a shot to win the NL pennant. I'm not sure they can win the World Series, but I'm, I'm hoping. I'm like everybody else, oh, yeah. man. I'm hoping. I'm just, you know... There's something about the thrill that a sports team brings a community, and we're part of the Atlanta Braves community. I mean, we may be 100 miles away, but we're part of it. And the thrill of that is, you know, I'll be up late tonight. There'll be a sleepy – we'll be sleepy most of this week and into next week, I hope. I think the Braves win. I think the Braves win it in game six in full in – Fulton County Stadium, boy, I'm three parts behind, aren't I? Winning um, <laughs> uh, it, truest, truest, part. yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, but you know, these Braves have taught us an incredible lesson. The lesson there, these guys have taught us, in my mind, is most of these guys weren't around. This, this is management on the fly, and it's been very successful. So, well. Thank, I want to thank Mayor Skip Henderson, uh, Skip's the mayor, Mr. Mayor, Skip. I mean, people get on me for calling you Skip. I answered both. Yeah. Well, Mr. Mayor, thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Chuck Williams Show. This is the point where I have to tell you, do I do social first or what do I do? For, oh, we say the Chuck Williams Show. Dylan Hansen, our director. Dylan is the man. He keeps me straight all the time. Chuck Williams Show can be heard Tuesday nights on WRBL.com from 7 to 8. PM. You can also get the the podcast, and people are listening to it. They're telling me on uh, Apple, Spotify, and what's the other one, Dylan? iHeart. Okay, you can get the podcast where you normally find podcasts, and podcasts may be the way to go on this one. You want to look at Skip and I's faces, Uh, and then on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Chuck Williams, on Facebook Chuck Williams WRBL, and then you can get me on Instagram at Chuck Williams zero nine nine nine. Again, we want to thank Mayor Skip Henderson for joining us and being our guest today. And you've been listening to this episode of The Chuck Williams Show. And remember, it may be The Chuck Williams Show, but this is about the people we interview. And I think we just had a very good hour with Skip. And we thank him for sitting down and sharing a little bit about family and politics and the job. Appreciate it. My pleasure.